5280 Church Podcast, because everyone needs more hope, genuine community, and a clearer picture of God's love. Hi there, and welcome into 5280 Church Podcast. 5280 Church exists for those searching to know God. Whether you are a longtime churchgoer or spiritually frustrated and homeless, we strive to create a safe space where you can come, interact with others on the same journey, and ask the tough questions. At 5280 Church, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate personification of God, but we encourage everyone to be in their own process of seeking, finding, and knowing God. No judgment, no exceptions. You can join our community at our website, 5280church.com, or on Facebook at 5280church. Each Sunday, we broadcast a portion of our service on Facebook Live to give you a taste of what your experience will be, and so you can meet some friendly faces. Tune in and interact with our host, asking your questions and digging deep into all things spiritual. In this series, Hashtag Blessed, we are taking a close look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, a section commonly known as the Beatitudes. In this passage, Jesus declares a blessing over several categories of people. However, his choice of people groups is interesting. It seems he wants to write a script that flips our preconceived notions on its head. It's the poor, the weak, and the nonviolent that appear to receive Jesus' stamp of approval. What are we to make of this, and what does it actually mean to be blessed? Jump in with us as we seek to find the truth behind Jesus' famous mountaintop address. And without further ado, hashtag blessed. everyone. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, why don't you go ahead and find Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 7 today. Uh, Matthew 5, 7 is where we're going to start off. We're in a series titled Hashtag Blessed, and it's the idea of looking at what God defines as blessings. And it's usually the things that are on his list in this passage are things that we wouldn't normally ask for, right? When God begins to talk about blessings, it might seem blessings are different than what you and I would desire, right? Because in our, our culture, blessings are about comfort, they're about amenities, they're about things going our way, it's about achieving our goals and our dreams. But we also know that there's another side of that coin where things do not always work out as well as we had hoped or planned. And Jesus goes on, he gives us this crazy list of people that can find blessing even in the dark places of life. You know, it begins with blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and then he promises them the kingdom of heaven or being able to live in his rule and in his goodness in their life. Uh, He talked about blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, his right, his wrong, his goodness, his character his presence in our life. He says those people will be satisfied. And there's this pattern throughout each one of these where it talks about the blessing is actually tied to the condition that we meet. So if we find ourselves poor in spirit, that's when the promise comes. We find ourselves mourning, we can count on the promise. And so the promise comes for those that find themselves in that condition, which is really, really incredible to think about that while you're experiencing things in life, God is always there, good or bad, that you can still experience his promise, his goodness, and his blessing in your life. And this is why God communicates to us, not in the terms of religion, but in the terms of relationship. This is what's really powerful about Jesus. 
It's God saying, I look down at humanity, I love humanity, I care for humanity, I don't bark orders at community. I, I show up and I live among them and I show them that I love them, that I care for them. I show them the kind of relationship that they can have with the Father in heaven and I want to give that to them by grace, which is really, really powerful. You know, today's uh, beatitude that we're looking at, the blessing that God offers us, are blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And why is this so important? Because we live in a culture where we're constantly bombarded with the idea that we're not enough. You go to work, you have goals. You reach those goals, there's the next goal. And if you don't reach that goal, somehow you didn't do enough. Some of you live in relationships that are very codependent, very unhealthy. Some of you have friendships where it's like, you know, you feel like you are never enough, that you never do enough. You never say enough of the right things. You never do enough of the right actions to keep that person pleased. You're not enough. Some of you have, have done things that have hurt other people in your life and it's being held over your head. It's been constantly held over your head and you feel like you've never paid enough to make it right. Some of you actually look at your relationship with God like that. You look at it and say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I, you know, I was a kid, and you know, I began this really cool relationship with him, and all these years have gone by, and I've failed, and I've blown it, and I've disregarded him, and I've rebelled against him, and I've belittled him, and I've failed him, and I, you know, I, just, I, I just can't do enough to make it right. And that's not true in our relationship with God, but it's true to our experience. And so each and every day, we are faced with this balance. Am I enough? Will it ever be enough? Have I paid enough? This verse is for you today. Because see, the opposite of I'm not enough, the extension of mercy, saying you are enough. You don't have to repay me. You don't have to be any more than who you are today. You don't have to do any more to receive everything that I have for you today. Notice that it says, blessed are the merciful. Not those that receive, those that um, receive mercy and give mercy, receive mercy. It doesn't say that. It says, blessed are the merciful. It's a statement of identity. It wasn't saying that God says, I'm going to give mercy to those who give mercy. Because, see, that puts us right back on that treadmill. Am I merciful enough? It's a statement of identity. It comes only from him, right? Remember, all of these beatitudes connect with one another. It starts with saying, God, I don't have the resources to be spiritually alive. I need you. I'm poor in spirit. I'm coming to you saying, God, I, I need you to give it to me. And then we begin to, you know, wrestle with how far away we feel from God at times, whether it's through circumstances or our own actions and consequences. And God says that even there, you will hear me calling out to you and I'll comfort you. Incredible for it means to call near, to draw near. And you think, wow, that, that's incredible. You know, and then this, this meekness, this gentleness comes out of your life. You know, it's something that starts to come out of your life because it reflects the gentleness of God. And, and as you do that, you find that you begin to influence other people with this gentleness, and they begin to experience that, and you begin to experience it at a deeper level. 
which leads us to hunger and thirst for more of him, which is righteousness. Right attitudes, right actions, right motivations. God says you'll be satisfied when you want me in your life. I will fill those parts of your life that you can't find anywhere else. And you're thinking, man, I want nowhere better to be than be close to him. And then we come to the merciful. It's like his character suddenly becomes our character. And the number one attribute that God is described as beyond loving is merciful. See, mercy is the application of grace. And grace is every good blessing that God wants to give us in life. Grace is God pouring out forgiveness. It's pouring out love. It's pouring out comfort. It's pouring out his presence. And mercy is the way he applies it. He looks down at people in need that are crushed, that are weighed down, wondering if they're ever enough, wrestling with insecurity, and he does not come in and scold and correct. He comes in and applies grace because he's merciful. He sees the weight of your burden and he wants to take it off of you. Blessed are those that have received his mercy because it makes them merciful people. They get it. And then their passion becomes to fill the world with mercy. And so how does or how do the merciful bless the world? First point I want to give you this morning is that they extend grace, forgiveness, and love to those who offend them. In other words, they don't hold sin over anybody's head. They don't hold sin over their own head, right? Because they're merciful. They understand that God has extended mercy to them. God is not holding their sin over their head. That's the beauty of grace applied. That's the beauty of forgiveness. That's the beauty of love. God looking at you saying, I know, but God is greater than all that, but I'm greater than all that, and I cover all of that because of my death on the cross. There is no anger against you. There is no disdain against you. There is no disgust towards you. I have applied out of my mercy all of the riches of my love and forgiveness and worth and value to convince you that you're enough. Right where you are, even though you're not where you want to be, even though you rebel against me, you're still enough for me. And that creates a merciful heart. And a merciful heart wants to give that mercy to other people. But when we forget and we slip back into, I got to do this to get this, then we become very cranky and irritable people. We become self-righteous. We're responsible and we have to produce something in our life that can only be given to us through God. Instead of fading away into a relationship with God saying, I want what you want, God. I desire what you desire, God. I want to be like you, God. I will give up everything to become like you, what we talked about last week. When we're willing to do that, God begins to pour in his spirit into our life and make us into the image that we're supposed to be, which is his image. So listen, Parents, when you get frustrated with your kid over their rebellion and you respond in rebellion, you know, towards them and you try to toe the line and make them step up, that's not applying mercy. You've forgotten the mercy that's been given to you. You want to change a kid's heart? Apply the mercy of God. The times that I've gotten down on my knees and I looked at my child in the eyes, even when I'm furious with them, and said, I love you. 
How do you feel about what you just have done? And they just fall apart. They feel it. And you say, you know what? God is merciful and he loves us. And I know that when I lean into him, I want to do what he wants to do. And we teach our kids, right, to do that. But if we hold sin over their head and say, you got to step up, you got to fix this, we're hitting them a burden that they can't bear. Because it's a burden you can't bear. You know, people that have wronged you at work, revenge just seems a lot. How do you respond? In mercy or revenge? Revenge just seems a lot more fun, doesn't it? That is not. Somebody cuts you off on the highway. That'll test your depths of mercifulness. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to ride right up on their tail, you know, and make them know that they cut me off. Trust me, they already know they cut you off. But we forget that all of us are undeserving and that all of us need a break every now and then. And the reason that we rebel and we act and we blow up and we sin against each other is out of pressure and selfishness that we haven't learned to find satisfaction with in Jesus. So embracing grace, uh, extending grace forgiveness to those who offend them, we see this most clearly in the heart of God. And he turns around and he tells us this in the book of Luke, uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. It says, but love your enemies and do good. Love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Context is enemies. It's like I lend to my neighbor, and I like my neighbor, and I believe my neighbor is going to give this stuff back to me. He knows where he starts here. Go to those that have offended you the most, and if you can come to the point where you can do good to them, and you can lend to them, and you can expect nothing in return, your reward will be great. Why? Because you're free of anger, you're free of bitterness, you're free of having to justify yourself or validate yourself or prove that you're right or prove that you have your own worth apart from the worth that's already been given to you in Jesus. It takes the shackles off. Suddenly, the things that happen to you aren't about you. It's about them missing the beauty of mercy that you're finding in God. It's suddenly not your kids rebelling against you, making you feel like a bad parent. It's your kids needing to experience the mercy and grace of Jesus. It's not your spouse being angry with you and not caring about your needs. Suddenly it's about them needing to experience the freedom of the mercies of God in their life. And you are being there saying, I want to be a part of that story for them. And this is Jesus says, even if they're your enemy, do that. Your reward will be great. Why? Because you will experience mercy at a deeper level and you will see the power of mercy work in somebody's life and you will share in that experience with them. It's incredible. And you will be sons of the Most High. So it's a statement of identity. If we say we follow Jesus and we're not merciful, we have to ask ourselves, are we acting like sons and daughters of God? In fact, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, says that those that are unmerciful are acting like unbelievers. Not that all unbelievers don't show mercy, but it's saying you're showing the trait of a godless person, which is not who you are. 
For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. The second way that the merciful bless the world is that they provide relief to those that are in need. See, another extension of mercy is to look at somebody struggling and dropping everything, meeting that need. It's slowing down. It's allowing your life to be interrupted. It's about letting yourself off, of your, off the hook for your own performance and to-do list, which will help you feel like you accomplished something that day and realize that the best thing that you can accomplish is to make a difference in another person's life, no matter how simple it is. As simple as holding a door open for somebody that has an armful of groceries. You know, or as meaningful as some of the things we're talking about, doing disaster relief in Houston, being a part of anti-sex trafficking movements, feeding the poor and the hungry, you know, providing basic necessities for those that can't provide for themselves. It's showing compassion. It's meeting the little needs in life that are big needs when you don't have them. And it shows the world that it's not all cruel and harsh. See, we see this in Micah 6.8. These are some of the things that God requires out of a believer. You want to know what God expects out of you? That would be really cool. Here's his expectation. He has told you, old man, what is good. When he says man, we're talking about humanity. So ladies, he's not leaving you out. I know it's written in a male-dominant language there, but I want you to understand these. Here's what humanity needs to know what is good. Here's what God tells us is good. And what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to do what's right, to love mercy? You ever met somebody that gave you something, but they weren't very kind about it? To love mercy, to love giving of yourself. And to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wants out of us. Meaningful connection with him. Meaningful connection as a body. And a meaningful connection with the needs of the world that are around us. Sound a little familiar? <laughs> we say it this way. Pursuing Jesus, building community, restoring hope. You need a balance of all three of those in your life. Because as you walk humbly with God, realizing that he's merciful and he's kind and he cares and he's compassionate about you, it's overwhelming. It's like, man, God, I don't deserve this. And he says, yes, you do. Not because of your actions, but because of your worth. You begin to do that, you experience mercy, and then you begin to share that with people around you that are easy to share that with. And, and that builds encouragement and a sense of bond and unity with other people. You, you feel the closeness of God. You begin to feel this community that God is building that's called church in the Bible. And then we realize there's a whole host of other people around us that need to see this. They need to experience this. They need to be a part of this. They need to know. And we begin to reach out and meet practical needs. And we share the love of Jesus through our actions and, and looking for opportunities to tell them the message of who he is and what he wants to do in their life that they too can experience the mercy that you have that compels you to even love your enemy. 
to give of yourself to meet practical needs. God requires it of us. We see this a little further, how much this is close to the heart of God. It says, uh, in Scripture, it says, before him will be gathered all nations. At some point, God is going to bring all nations before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and goats, right? A A shepherd leads sheep. And he's saying there are some people that are following me that want to follow me, and then there are people around me that claim to be of me or, or don't that, that are not part of the flock. And so he's saying there, there are people that are authentic followers, and then there are people that are not followers, and he separates those on the two. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. <clears throat> and then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. So he's looking at his sheep saying, You're blessed by my father, you've wanted me, I, you know, you've realized that I've wanted you. You know, you're about to enter into the kingdom that I've been building here on earth. You're going to spend eternity with me. And he goes on, and he's speaking to them, and he says, You're about to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. Now he starts talking about what characterizes these people. I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. All people in great distress and great need that need mercy. And then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Two things powerful about that last verse. As you did it to the least of these, who's he looking at? Those that are outside the family of God. God's call for us to show mercy is unconditional to every person that's on the face of the earth. That's powerful, and that ought to mess you up. This isn't about doing things to grow a church. This is about doing things to proclaim the goodness of God. And when people start following God, they become part of this family that's called the church. And then the church finds ways to connect with God and each other, and then this stuff starts to make a little sense. The other thing that's really important is he said, as you've served the least, you've served me. God associates himself with humanity. What is he saying? It's going back to creation where God says he has created humanity in his image. Male and female, he's created them in his image. There's a beauty of God's character that is imprinted on every human being's life, no matter who they are, where they are, where they live. There are parts of God's character and nature that are wired into those people. Now, we all know that if you've been around people very much, we don't act a lot like God, do we? So that image is a little distorted. It's a little messed up. 
And it needs to be renewed. It needs to be brought to life. It needs to be brought to the front. This is what Jesus came to do. He's like, you have no idea that your, your entire worth and value, you're clouded in your own judgment. It's clouding everybody else's judgment. And I want you to know that I'm good and I'm loving. And the reason that you cry out for good and the reason that you cry out for love and the reason you cry out for justice when you see wrong and the reason you want to bring hope is because those are things that are a part of me, that are a part of you. That's how we connect with one another. And I've come to to remove every possible barrier and offense and show mercy and grace and love and forgiveness to all who would want me in return. God wants you. He doesn't need you. Now let that sink in because some of us live our lives in need because when we do enough, then we're enough. God removes that barrier of self-righteousness He says, because there's something far greater to my love, and that is, I want you. But God, I'm a mess. I want you. Out of my mercy, I will give you grace. I will give you love. I will give you forgiveness. Do you want me? Do you see the beauty of that? It's not what you decide. I don't know why we communicate this in church, decide whether you want to follow Jesus or not. What do you see in him? That's where it begins. Do you see him for who he really is? And I'm telling you, when you see that, every possible desire for him comes alive. It's not a decision. It's, it's, a, it's like magnetism. And God offers this love to every person on the planet. And what's beautiful is that even in our brokenness, even as God is applying mercy in our life, even as God is transforming us, he uses us to begin to echo that message to other people. And we become voices of hope. Those that have received mercy are merciful people, and that fills the world with mercy, doesn't it? The next way that the merciful bless the world is that they invite others to experience the mercy of Jesus. You ever had somebody that helped you, and they wanted to make sure that you remembered that they helped you? You know anybody like that? A lot of us are in the church. Right? And those people are welcome here in hopes that they would find the beauty of mercy. But see, there's this message that Jesus came to proclaim. And that message is meant to be experienced in our daily lives and it's meant to be proclaimed from our mouths. It becomes the reason for the hope that we have. There comes a time where we need to speak up. And I think if we speak and we have no actions of mercy, then it's, it's empty. And I think if we give acts of mercy and we don't speak, I think that's empty. But you put those two things together and it's beautiful. And it provides clarity. Incredible clarity. See, Jesus came and he wanted people to understand a few things about him and about themselves. And so he goes into the synagogue one Sunday, their version of church, and they would do something very simple, very simple practice. They would pull a scroll off of uh, a shelf and they would hand it to somebody to read. And Jesus 
was asked to read from the scroll of Isaiah this particular Sunday, or Sabbath day, which probably wasn't Sunday. But forgive me, I'm a Christian. It's kind of been burned into my head. <clears throat> and so, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me or empowered me to proclaim good news, all right, good news, hopeful news, positive news, redemptive news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, saying, God is here, and he loves you, and you can have his favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How powerful is that? God himself, who penned these words, reading his very words, saying, dude, I'm here it just happened today. You can be free today. If you're feeling spiritually poor today, you're set free. And God cares not just about your spiritual needs, but he cares about your emotional needs. He cares about your physical needs. We're talking about poverty all the way around. If you're feeling blind and you can't see me, I'm here to tell you, you can see today. And he was saying not just those uh, spiritual needs, but emotional blindness and physical blindness. God cares about all of those things. Those that you feel like you're locked up in yourself and you have nothing but darkness and oppression hanging over you, you're free today. You're free today in me. That's the offer. Just come to me and, and it's yours. Just want me the way I want you. God cares about spiritual, emotional, and physical needs, and he brings all of this stuff together. He starts with the emotional, right? We've talked about that. We've talked about these physical needs, you know, where we've, we experience that. And now he's saying, hey, here's the message that you need to believe, you need to internalize, you need to let shape your life, and it's what needs to be the, the resounding echo of your life. Today you're free. And today you become my ambassador my testimony, my witness of what I can do in a person's life. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, but God being rich in mercy, filthy, stinking rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we rebelled against him, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the good news, that it doesn't depend on you. It never depended on you, and it still doesn't depend on you. You come to him and say, God, I need you. I don't want to experience another day apart from you. I don't want to mourn a loss in my relationship with you. God, I want to see your character, your gentleness mark my life. I want to find every satisfaction and pleasure in life in you. And God, I want to be merciful like you're merciful. It all piles up, doesn't it? And I do this, God, so that the world will see mercy, which is the fourth, fourth point that I want to give you today. Those who have received mercy will fill the world with mercy. 
The interesting thing is, is that you're, if you're reading these things and hearing these things saying, man, I got to do this, I got to step up with my kids, I got to tell people about Jesus, you start creating a little punch list, you've missed it today. And to make sure you don't go out of here with a to-do list, I'm bringing you to this point. The merciful receive mercy. They obtain mercy. They see themselves as the recipients of God's mercy. That's your to-do list today. I am enough right where I am today. But God, and he's going to say, but what? And some of you are going to be like me. Why, God? And God's going to say, (laughs) because I'm God. He chooses to do what he chooses to do because it's his character and his nature. And that's the beauty of it. He's constant in a world of performance and step up and make it happen. He's generous to all that just simply know how to receive. See, people that are merciful will fill the world with mercy. They can't help but to let it out because God is bigger than you. It's not about digging up the resources to be what God wants you to be. It's about losing yourself to find yourself in him. It's about his resources pouring out of your life. Your one job today is to see yourself as a recipient of mercy. Do I want Jesus more than my way, my beliefs, my perspective, my pet sin? Do I want Jesus And the minute you think that, God's right there to flood your heart with every blessing in Christ. Just the thought. You don't even have to get the words out of your mouth. All the words do is convince your brain that your belief's in line with your heart. It doesn't make God move. It's the inward inclination to let God be God in your life. See, the world desperately needs this. And when our heart's not right, the world becomes a very dark place. And I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Prophet Zechariah. Here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So when this happens, you see this phrase, it's like, this is God telling you something very explicit. Okay? God is about to be very clear in what he's going to tell Zechariah. Dispense true justice. Notice that it says dispense. To dispense something means that you're a container for it already. Dispense true justice. Emotional, physical, and spiritual justice. Practice kindness. Dispense kindness. Dispense compassion. Each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Give mercy. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. 
They made their hearts like flint, like rock, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. This isn't a new message. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Stop for a second there. God desires mercy and compassion and kindness. Humanity's like, I care about myself. They harden their hearts and they don't do what God wants to do. They don't even listen to what he says. And the Bible says that because of that, from the Lord... God allowing it to happen, hardship came upon those hard hearts. You know what that tells us as believers? One of the reasons that evil and suffering still exist in the world is because it's a reminder to all of us that we have hard hearts and we're responsible for the pain and suffering around us. Does it mean that God hates us and he condemns us? No. God in his grace offers hope and redemption to people, but he is not going to take personal responsibilities for their actions. It's not saying God is up there inflicting evil upon people and we're all innocent bystanders. Or bystanders. God has goodness and kindness and compassion and value that he wants to bring to the world and he gives that to you unconditionally and then he wants you to give that to other people unconditionally and fill the world with mercy and the question is do you have a hard heart do you see yourself as a recipient of mercy see god shows love and justice in a very powerful way he loves everybody those that are far from God and will never embrace him and love him and follow him and care for him. God loves them the same way that he loves you if you think you're his favorite child in the kingdom of God. There's no distinction between God and the way he loves any person on the face of the earth. But then you're looking and saying, well, what about all this injustice? How does God feel about that? It makes him furious. So why doesn't he do something about it? He did. Jesus. Perfectly loving humanity, perfectly transforming the human heart through one act of justice where he takes the wrath that rightly belongs to humanity and takes it upon himself. This is the cross. Satisfying his anger. So he creates a kingdom, if you will, in the midst of another kingdom. A kingdom of light in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. A kingdom of good in the midst of kingdom of pain and suffering. And God calls people out of that kingdom into his kingdom. And when we refuse that, we are not protected from the darkness that surrounds us. It's a very simple principle. You reap what you sow. Right? Some people call it karma. It's not an accurate picture of it, but the Bible says you invest in good things, you will experience the blessings of Christ in your life. doesn't mean it'll be perfect, but you find that security of comfort. You see, if God just protects your life and he doesn't protect people around you, then God is playing favorites 
and he's harsh and cruel. If God loves you the same as he loves the next person, and we're all trying to work through our own brokenness and evil, and we're given hope and opportunity in Jesus to make that happen, it's a beautiful picture. Who is, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The real problem is when we feel like we have to perform we do this, and God gives us that. We do the right things, God gives us mercy and blessing. God says, I give you mercy and blessing if you want to receive it. It's not earned or deserved. If it's earned or deserved, our worldview gets really distorted and twisted. When we're willing to live inside a relationship with God, we have confidence that God is there. He loves us, cares for us, and even when we blow it, he will show compassion and he will tread iniquity under his feet. He will separate it from our life as far as the depth of the ocean from the surface, as far as the east is from the west. God is merciful, which makes us merciful. And it begins with a simple prayer, God, I need that. God, the world needs that. But so many of us want to blame God for our own rebellion. God's your fault. And how does God respond to you? I love you. I want to give you mercy. I want to set you free. And I want you to do the same for every person. I want you to join me in amplifying that message through your actions and your words. Because the world needs to hear this, and if you harden your heart, the darkness feels all the more dark. Blessed are the merciful, because they will see mercy in the world around them.